0: I'd like to direct your attention to the book of Revelation today. This is where we've spent this last semester in our Tuesday Night Large Group meetings, considering the words of God through the Apostle John to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Um, We're going to actually begin in the beginning of chapter 6. We're going to cover a couple of chapters worth this morning. When I started working with RUF uh, four years ago, just, uh, just over four years ago now, and I would meet campus ministers from around the country... There's a similar conversation that would happen. They would ask where I'll be serving, and I would say, Kansas State University in Manhattan, Kansas. And for 30 seconds or so, I would get a glazed look, and then the, the conversation then would typically go like this, Kansas, oh yes, my family and I drove through there on our way to Colorado skiing one summer, or one winter, and I slept most of the way. Or it would go like this. I remember falling asleep around Kansas City and waking up a few hours later and we were still in Kansas. I find it much more beautiful than many of my counterparts, sadly. But it is gorgeous, that drive across I-70. But if you've ever made that trip out west, you know what it's like to drive past the towns of Abilene and Salina and Russell and Hayes. And you know the experience of driving up in the slow hills as they rise and fall throughout western Kansas. You know the ex- particularly that experience of coming to the rise of one of those hills and on a clear day being able to look out from your car and seeing for miles. At times it can be breathtaking to see the rolling hills, to see the wildflowers, to see cattle grazing, to see trees and barns off in the distance. On a clear day you can see for miles. I tell you that because that's one way to understand the book of Revelation. You see, the Apostle John, writing near the end of his life, is exiled on the island of Patmos for preaching the gospel. He did nothing else but faithfully serve the risen Lord that he knew personally. And the government said, no more, we're going to send you off into exile. And he wrote these words to, the, to churches, to seven churches in particular that are named one by one in chapters two and three of this book regarding the suffering that they are facing and indeed that he knows is coming for them. But like we would see coming to one of those rises and seeing off in the distance for miles upon miles, he's inviting the people of God to gaze with similar clarity upon the work of God in the past, in the present, and even into their future. To see not simply what is ex- they're experiencing right, now, right there and now, though that is part of what he wants them to notice for sure, he wants them to see further than what they can see that's right in front of them. And so he speaks to them of their suffering, and he speaks to them of the hope that awaits them. One of the, one of the keys to understanding the book of Revelation is, is one of the phrases, some of the phrases that we hear repeatedly. You see, over and over again, as we read through the book of Revelation, we hear John say, I watched, or I looked, and I heard, and I saw, over and over and over again. The book of Revelation is Jesus appearing to John and giving him these visions, some of which may make immediate sense, some of them which may be more difficult to understand. But in the midst of the details, he wants us alongside of John and alongside of his original audience to see what John sees, to see God sitting upon his throne in chapter 4, and to see the Lamb, the Lamb who was slain, who is risen, the Lord Jesus himself in chapter 5. And in the midst of that vision in chapter 5, John sees a scroll, but that scroll containing knowledge about the world in which we live is sealed. And John falls on his face in despair, crying out, who can see the scroll, who can be open the scroll? And the slain lamb who is risen shows up to open the scroll. And so as we look to chapter 6, we see the scroll beginning to be opened. Hear now the word of God as I begin reading from chapter 6, verse 1. We'll read all of chapter 6, and we'll pick it up later in chapter 7 in a moment. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! Come! And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take the pea, take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. And I looked and behold, a black horse and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. "'and told to rest a little while longer "'until the number of their fellow servants "'and their brothers should be complete, "'who were to be killed as they themselves had been. "'When he opened the sixth seal, "'I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, "'and the sun became black as sackcloth. "'The full moon became like blood.' And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone a slave and free hid themselves in the caves from among the rocks of the mountains. Calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? And then jumping ahead to chapter 8, verse 1. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray as we attend ourselves to this word. Father, our prayer this morning is that you would send out your light and your truth that they would guide us, that they would take us to your holy hill, to the place indeed where you dwell, so that we, your people, might hear you speak, and indeed, by the work of your Spirit in us, that we might be changed. We pray this through the blood of the Lamb who was slain and who risen again. Amen. As we approach our text this morning, the question I want to set before us is, I believe, the title that's printed for you in your bulletin. Can we live honestly today in the world? Is it possible for us as God's people to live honestly? I want to say I think it's difficult. I think on a day-to-day basis it's difficult for you and I to live honestly. Not because I question any of your integrity or anything like that, but simply the realities of the world in which we live make it difficult You see, we know what it is to live with resume honesty, making sure our action verbs are just set, that we're concise and clear about everything that we've accomplished in our lives so that we might be hired and paid attention to. We know college application honesty, which is similar with probably some more flowery language. We know Facebook honesty. We know the other social media honesty that is before us. We know gym honesty. We know Sunday morning honesty. We know dinner party honesty. We know what it is to want to present our best selves to the people who may or may not be watching us. We know what it is to want to live with an honesty that says, yes, this is pretty much who I am, but please don't dig any deeper. We know what it is to look around us and want to be able to say, you see, I'm doing okay. Things are good. Things are good. And even if they're not good, they're going to get better. But we know the truth behind the projected truth is never that simple. The grace that we have this morning, brothers and sisters, is that the Bible isn't any of those kinds of honesty. But the Bible in its truth and in its grace speaks with a very bold honesty that you and I need. And in fact, it speaks with an honesty that our world as it watches us needs as well. A very simple example that I'm, to be honest with you, I'm a little embarrassed by, and I'll explain that as we go. When I was a sophomore in college, I was studying mathematics. My goal at that point in my life was to get a degree in secondary education to be a high school math teacher. I'd done really well in high school. I was near the top of my class, not because I was brilliant, not because I worked super hard, but because I worked hard enough, and I was smart enough to do well. But then my sophomore year hit. You see, I was studying not only math, but I was getting the equivalent of a minor in physics so that I'd be certified to teach physics. And in my program, third semester physics was a different story altogether. Because third semester physics was what we called modern physics, where we learned about Niels Bohr and others who had followed him. Those names I've, to be honest with you, forgotten because that was a long time ago. But it was men and women who were trying to to understand the nature of the universe by looking at the atom. And as the 20th century science progressed, what we know is that the picture of the atom became more and more complicated, so much so that I couldn't draw it on a piece of paper like we could in junior high and high school. Because there were clouds and probability, and I'm not going to go any further because I'm going to show my own ignorance as it stands today. But the problem was, I couldn't get it. I didn't understand what I was doing. And my embarrassment came when I I felt the urge to call my folks in the middle of the semester and warn them that I was not going to get an A in third semester physics. And my embarrassment is not that I was not going to get an A. I'm embarrassed today because I was embarrassed